Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John 11, verse number one, rather. Amen. And so um, we will probably not get through John chapter number 11 uh, before we change modes. Um, And so that doesn't bother me. We'll pick back up on it in September. That is, unless I perceive things have just worked so well with the connect groups, we'll continue with them. All right. But uh, as it stands right now, The plan is to go back to teaching in September. Again, unless that were to change, please stand by. Amen for anything that may change. Amen. John 11 and verse number 1. The Bible says, now a certain man was sick. Anybody read John 11? Anybody know the story of Lazarus? Right. A certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister, sisters rather, sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So for a little while tonight, I'm going to teach for his glory. And we're going to pray. And again, what I'm doing here tonight is not mirroring what we'll be normally doing on Wednesdays in the month of June. The questions that I give are just trying to get you just warmed up a little bit. Okay? Amen. Lord, I love you, and I thank you, Jesus, for, God, the privilege to be in the house of the Lord again. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege, Lord Jesus, to come and worship and to sit and hear the word of the Lord, God, and how it can be applied, Lord Jesus, to my own life. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us now. God, stir up our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirits. God, and we'll give you the glory and the praise for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen to the church. Say amen. Amen. So I pose a question then to you this evening, and that is this. Can anybody here tonight tell me anything about Lazarus that doesn't center around him being raised from the dead? Can you tell me something about Lazarus? Something more than, yeah, he was raised from the dead by Jesus. Is there anything you know about him? Uh, Is there any personality characteristics? Is there any physical characteristics? Is there anything that you know, anybody, that you can tell me about Lazarus that doesn't have to do with him being raised from the dead? James, do you have something on your mind? Is there anything you can tell me? Jesus loves. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else have any other input to put on there? What about all these Sunday school teachers that's taught Lazarus for years? Anybody got anything they can tell me about Lazarus that doesn't center around him being raised from the dead? I'm looking at some. These people got gold star Sunday school teachers right here. Sister Rhonda and Sister Sheila for years have taught Sunday school and have no doubt included Lazarus. What about you, Sister Rhonda? Boom. 
Mary and Martha was his sisters, according to the word of the Lord. Anything else? Anybody? Physical trait? Personality? Anything? No? Everybody's tumbling through their brain trying to figure out what it might be. Yeah? What, Brother Alex, you have something? You agreeing? Amen. Because the obvious thing that we know is right, that Jesus raised him from the dead. That's like the big, that's like the big rock of everything. He was raised from the dead and brought back to life by Jesus. For that matter, and the reason why some of you have been scratching your head is because there's not much said about Lazarus outside of that. Uh, and I wasn't trying to be a trick question right up front, but I just, you know, you make me second guess if I ever knew Lazarus, you know what I mean? Uh, but had it not been for this occurrence in Scripture of John chapter number 11, there isn't much more that we would know about Lazarus. For that matter, you know, it's interesting because you look in Scripture, Lazarus never speaks. We have no recorded words of Lazarus. Lazarus never speaks. The house that Jesus often retreats to in Bethany when he's around the Jerusalem area, it's described as Martha's house, all right? And so we, we, the, the, what we know, huh? That's why he didn't talk. Maybe it was the sisters that edged him out. I don't know. If you want to look real practical at it, maybe it was. Uh, but nonetheless, so, so that's, that's the case. So what can you tell me then, if you can't say much about Lazarus and we're giving the sisters a hard time, then what, what can you tell me about Mary or what can you tell me about Martha? Surely somebody knows some other information about Mary and Martha. Anybody? Anybody? Martha was always busy doing. That's good. Anybody else want to add to that? What do you know about Martha? Sister Sheila, do you know anything about Martha? What about Mary? Do you know anything about Mary? She liked to sit and listen. True. Where did we oftentimes find Mary whenever she was sitting and listening? She was sitting and listening at, at his Jesus' feet. We see that over and over again in Scripture. Amen. Anything else? Anybody else know anything about? Yeah, Brother Trout. That is, that is a, a, another Mary. That is another Mary. And that, hey, that is a... That is easy because there are several Marys in the New Testament. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, this Mary. It, that's, that's an easy one to make. Sometimes I got to go back and look myself. Right. Yeah, that's, I, I got to go back sometimes and just rethink my Marys too because it's, it's difficult. You get a lot of people Mary going on. But that's great. I'm glad that you remembered that though, that that was a Mary. Anybody else? Martha, Mary, anything? Say what? Wash his feet. Mary washed Jesus' feet with her, with her hair. That's right. That's, that's recorded in the scripture, interaction with Jesus. And so in Luke, in Luke chapter number 10, uh, Martha received Jesus, of course, into her house. This is uh, the famed interaction of Mary and Martha and Jesus, as we see, uh, in her house. And there's nothing even mentioned in Luke 10 about Lazarus, all right? It's just Mary and Martha that is being spoken of. And it's it there that we see as, as some have told us, the sister Sheila told us that Mary sat at Jesus' feet. But again, and, and Martha, of course, invited Jesus into her house to serve him, right? Doing her thing of being busy, as Sister McGee said. But again, there is no focus ever in Luke 10 that's directed toward Lazarus. As a matter of fact, as a pastor tonight, I could tell you more about Mary and Martha than I could tell you about Lazarus, right? Martha is the host, right? She's all the time uh, playing the, the role of the host. And as Sister McGee said, she loves to serve. I would even go as far from Luke chapter number 10 
that Mary loves to serve, but her serving sometimes distracts her from enjoying her company. All right. And so she, she likes to be busy. And in some regards, she feels a little put out when everybody else doesn't feel the same likeness to be busy as she is. Right. Because she's like, Lord, aren't you going to say something to Mary over here that's sitting at, you know, I'm over here busy serving. And Mary, on the other hand, we know that since she is commonly found sitting at Jesus's feet or sitting for that matter anywhere, when we read later in the story here of John 11 and Jesus shows up after Lazarus has died, Martha runs out to meet him. And you know where Mary's at? In the house sitting. So, you know, we start to get this picture painted of Mary that this lady knows how to relax, you know. She, she just knows how to stay chill. Amen. And she's found sitting at Jesus' feet. And she's also, though, Sister McGee said she's anointed. She anointed the feet of Jesus, right? And she wiped his, his feet with her hair. And it's not so much, I don't think, that Mary doesn't, doesn't serve, but her service is, uh, you know, more intimate, uh, a little bit deeper, if you will, uh, with the Lord than just on the surface serving. So whenever Jesus arrives again after the death of Lazarus, Martha, here's her, her, her personality coming out. She hurries out to meet. Mary sits still in the house. And whenever Mary does go to the Lord, guess what she does? What Does anybody know what she does? Whenever she does leave the house after Lazarus died and heard that the Lord was there, Mary comes out, and what does she does? Anybody remember? You can cheat if you want to and look in John 11, and that's fine. But Mary finally comes out to meet the Lord. Anybody? What? What? Huh? No, she still accuse him. But, uh, well, she does, along with Martha. They both kind of are a little accusatory. Had you not been here, right, our, our brother would not have died. So, yes, you're right, I guess, at accusing. She fell at his feet. Once again, here she is, you know, on the ground, Mary, <laughs> at the feet of Jesus, Mary. And so... Even later, we'll read sometime in the future in John 12 that after Lazarus was raised from the dead, a supper was made. Jesus was there. And you can probably tell me this one without even looking. Guess who served? It's in your Bible. It plainly says that Martha served. It does. And it also tells us then it's in that setting that Mary came in with her ointment. And she anointed Jesus' feet and she wiped it with her hair. And then also it tells us in John 12 among them that there's Lazarus. He sat at the table. That's all we get. That's all we get of good old Lazarus. You know, he's not serving, not sitting at feet. He don't have ointment. He's not talking. He's just at the table. He's just at the table there sitting there, you know, with Jesus. All right. And yet in everything that we lack in knowing about Lazarus, his sisters affirm this in the verses that I read you to you today is that he was loved by the Lord. For that matter, the writer John here of the gospel conveys to us that the Lord did love Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He had a love for each of them individually, personally, if you will. And yet Lazarus, at least in the record of scripture, Lazarus is a silent bystander. As it is, nothing's being said, nothing's being spoken. There's no, <clears throat> you know, I'm sitting at the table type of uh, episodes that's taken place. But his silence and, and existence, as it seems in the shadows, does not lessen his importance in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Right? 
Because in reality, we would have never known of, right, or heard of Lazarus had not, and this is important with verse number four of our scripture setting tonight, we'd not have heard of him or known him had not the glory of God been wrapped up or bound up with Lazarus's sickness, death, and being raised to life. This is what the Bible says in John 11 and verse number four. When Jesus heard that, the that that he's speaking of is that learning that Lazarus, or at least the person came to him and said that he was sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. What? The Son of God would be glorified by what? That this, this sickness. It's, it's not that, Jesus is saying, it's not that Lazarus's sickness wouldn't lead to death. Whenever he says the sickness is not unto death, he wasn't saying Lazarus isn't going to die because of this sickness. But what Jesus is saying is that ultimately death was not going to be the capstone of the sickness. Death wasn't going to be the final word concerning this sickness. Because the purpose of the sickness, the purpose of everything that would lead up to the sickness and the burial, the death of Lazarus, all of the purpose of that was going to be for the glory of God. He said the son of God would be glorified by the sickness of Lazarus. So I have a question for you. How do we, how do we typically define or how would you, you can even make it personal. How do you, or how do we typically define glory or what would be some synonyms for glory? Anybody, brother Alex, you're a well-schooled individual. Do you have any ideas of what, what's, what, what do we classify? What do we say glory? What, what would we define that as? Think or ponder. Anybody else? Glory. A light. A light. Glory, a light. That's a possibility. Yeah, that's a possibility. Sister Sheila. Something good happens. <laughs> like, whoo, glory. <laughs> Amen. Anybody else? Oh, someone whispering over there. Red. <laughs> that's right honor what position glory typically defined the word glory in other places even in john and even here glory many times we're talking about we're talking about praise right we're talking about honor huh honor nothing she said that um and that's the case in many places but whenever he speaks that this would be for the glory of God or that the Son of God might be glorified. It isn't so much just the idea of praise and honor would be given to God or that praise and honor would be given to the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt it was. But in the context of John, it's so much more that we're talking about glory being, I know this sounds weird, but we've looked at this before, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. His glory was his death, burial, and resurrection. For instance, in John chapter number 7 and verse 39, this is a chapter that we have already studied, and the setting is that it is the Feast of Tabernacles and that it's the last day of the feast, and uh, the Bible speaks about how Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me, right? And verse 39, John 7, 39 says this, the little parenthesis, the parenthetical phrase is, but this spake he of the spirit, 
which they that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, that's not just relating that it had not been given because Jesus hadn't been honored yet or that he hadn't been praised yet. But it's the fact that he had not yet died, been buried and resurrected yet. All right. Because after all these modes and Jesus finally ascended to the heavens as he told the disciples and others that he said, I'll send you another comforter. He says, I will come to you. And he's speaking of the Holy Ghost. And so glory is relating to uh, that death and that burial and the resurrection. Another place, John chapter number 12. And, verse, and there's several of these in Scripture. I, I could list several of these just in John uh, for us tonight, but I don't want to go overboard. But in John 12 and verse 16, this is following Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Him upon an ass's coat, which is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in Scripture about the king that would come riding on the coat and the coat of an ass. Amen. The scripture says, verse 16, following him doing this, the scripture says, these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified. Again, it's not just that he's being honored or praised, but when he had died, been buried and resurrected, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things which were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. All right? And so now they're putting everything together after he was glorified, his death, burial, and resurrection, that that was their king riding in. Amen. In that moment of time, their Messiah. Let's look at another one. John chapter number 12 and a few verses down, verse 23 and 24. The Greeks are coming. They come to Philip. They want to see Jesus, sir. We would see Jesus. Philip finds Andrew. Andrew finds Jesus and tells him, right? And sir, we would see Jesus. And this is Jesus' response then in John 12 and verse number 23. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And look at verse 24. He goes straight to this, which is giving this explanation and understanding what it means for the Son of Man to be glorified. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He just said, he said, the hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Then he talks about corn falling into the ground and dying. He's talking in, in, in symbols and things in which they can relate to. He's talking about his own death, right? Being buried, dying, if you will, for humanity. And so all along in the Gospel of John, Jesus' glory or glorification relates to the cross, relates to his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so whenever Lazarus in John 11 comes forth from the grave, his coming forth from the grave is a real tipping point for ushering in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lazarus coming forth from his grave is setting the stage in, in certain means of Jesus coming forth from his grave. Amen, in many respects. Because as we read in the scripture, it was Lazarus's sickness, his death, his being raised from the dead that then turned people's attention to Jesus's or looking after wanting to bring about Jesus's death, which would precipitate then in his burial and in his 
resurrection. Look at it, if you will, in John 11 and verse 53. Lazarus says his sickness has brought him to death. His death has brought him to a burial in a tomb, which, by the way, happened to be a cave with a stone that was over its mouth. That sounds real familiar, don't it? Jesus had a tomb with a stone over its opening with even a seal. But nonetheless, and his being raised from the dead. All of this happens, and it's in this mode then in verse 53 then of John 11 says, then from that day, the day it's speaking of is Lazarus being raised from the dead. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him, speaking of Jesus, to put him to death. And so Lazarus's sickness, burial, and being raised from the dead really started a, a, a rolling of the ball, if you will, for them intently looking at if we find advantage of somehow securing him, we need to get Jesus and we need to do away with him. All right? Someone say amen. So, Lazarus being raised from the dead, notably in John, and just the first half of John here, notably in John, John traces, and we have traced, whether you've knownly or unknownly been along for the journey in this, that he has traced seven signs or seven miracles that, that he showcases in his gospel. Those seven that he showcases in this gospel, of course, wasn't all the miracles or signs that Jesus did, but he chooses these particular seven. Lazarus being raised from the dead is the last of these seven signs, all right? The first sign, if you remember, all the way back in chapter 2 of this book was Jesus turning water into what? Wine. No one said Kool-Aid. I am so proud of you. Amen. He turned water into wine. It centered around a wedding. And the last sign centers around a funeral, which is a little ironic, honestly. Amen. All we need is a baby dedication thrown in there, and I think we're good. <laughs> Amen. But nonetheless, so with that being said, whenever you think about over the course of how many weeks we've been doing this, and there's been several, this is like lesson 36. Um, whenever you think about all this, can anybody remember some of the other notable signs and miracles that Jesus has done thus far in the Gospel of John? Anybody? Think of any other? Yes, Brother Malone. The blind man. Yeah, you buttered the ball, didn't you? Just go to the last chapter. That's okay. That's good. Hey, I forgot things overnight, so, you know. Anybody else? Any other sign or miracle that took place that you can remember? Yes, Trevor. When Daniel was in the lion's den, that's great. That's in the Old Testament. Anybody else a sign or a miracle that was done in the book of John? Walked on water. You remember the storm that was on the sea? He went out. Anybody remember? The woman that touched his garment. Your, 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 your little head. Your little, your, your. That probably happened during that time frame, but it's not one that John showcased. He fed the crowd, the 5,000. Anybody else? Huh? Bethesda. Yes. The infirm man at the pool of Bethesda. Was, was helped out. Great, great, great. And I don't care if you look in your Bibles. That's fine. I'm not saying you're cheating. You're looking in the Bible. Lord, I wish you would. Just look at it. Just look at it. Just look at it. Amen. But yes, we've already mentioned turning water to wine. The cure, the, the cure we talked about, the, I don't think we have, but the cure of the nobleman's son, we have taught on that. Uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda, the 5,000, someone said that. The walking on the sea, the deliverance, all of that. Uh, born blind, yes. And then now the raising of the dead is the seventh sign. So what happens, what happens and is done with Lazarus 
is really the prototype. It's really the prototype. The prototype of what's going to unfold in the life of Jesus. All right? Because sickness, as it would seem, he was sick and then he dies, Lazarus. Sickness demanded Lazarus' death, as it seems. But on, but on the fourth day, as the scripture relates, because Mary says, Lord, he's been dead four days, surely he stinketh. We all remember that, right? He stinketh. It says, on the fourth day, he came out of the grave. Again, Lazarus was put into uh, a cave or side of a rock with a stone that was rode over it. Lazarus came out of the tomb with grave clothes on. All right, with grave clothes on. But the voice of the one that called him out will later leave his grave clothes in his tomb when he comes out. All right. Now, here's the thing. Jesus didn't need to practice for his own resurrection. I don't want anybody to get the idea. Well, he had to, he had to try it out on Lazarus, you know, if he could do it himself. You know. Jesus didn't have to practice for his resurrection. But Lazarus' story is a good illustration about what Jesus could do. Could do. All right? So when we talk about sickness, and, and this, this next question here could get really deep, and we'll, we'll try to keep it in and harnessed and all that. But I ask you this. Is sickness directly or indirectly related to sin or both? Whatever you say, explain to me why. So is, 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 is sickness directly related to sin or is it indirectly related to sin or is it both? And if so, why? Anybody want to get the ball rolling for us here? Someone said, sure, Brother Terry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. So Jesus was saying there's there's not a direct link here. There's not a direct link here from his mom or dad sinning and, and then this sickness of, of blindness that this boy has been born with. Anybody else? Okay. So you're talking about like generational things? All right. All right. Anybody else? Okay. 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 All right. Anybody else? This is good. This is great. It's okay to hear all these sides. Wonderful. Bishop. Right. Yep. Sister Brenda. That's Sister Brenda back there, folks. Let's clap our hands. So good to see Sister Brenda tonight. I know you can't recognize her because she's got that mask over her nose and face. Right, God using sickness to bring us to a place to have an open ear, open heart to him. Anybody else? Trevor, what you got? Okay, okay, okay. All of this is tremendous. All this is tremendous. Anybody else before we move forward? Is it directly related, indirectly related, both? And if so, just explain where you're coming from. 
Anybody else? Oh, oh, Mike. All right. All right. Anybody else, Sister Margaret? Sure. I was there. That's where you just lean on the Apostle Paul whenever he said, uh, you know, that is not me. This is the Lord. <laughs> it's not me. It's the Lord that's speaking to you right now. I seen Hannah. I didn't see who. Yeah. Sure. Right. Yeah, I heard him back there even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All this was very good. All was a very good. Um, and I think that we heard from both sides really that there can be a both, that it can be absolutely a direct line related, and it can be indirectly, you know, related and such. Um, first, you know, Lazarus had a sickness that led to death. And as we saw with the man born blind, as Brother Terry brought up, not every sickness is a direct result of sin. You know, not, not every sickness is a direct result of sin. However, I, I do believe from the word of the Lord that every sickness in many ways is an indirect result of sin. And when I say that, it's not necessarily a sin that you've committed yourself, but it's an indirect result of the sin aspect that's in humanity that started all the way back in the garden. All right. The Bible says in Psalms 38 and verse number three, the psalmist said, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest, which the word rest there can mean completeness, wholeness, or health. There is no completeness, wholeness, or health in my bones because of my sin. The psalmist says even there is no soundness in his flesh. What he's conveying is that there is no part of his body free from disease or malfunction or pain. In other words, you know, it seems like, at least I hear from the elders, as they get older, sometimes arthritis shows up. And you got body aches and pains that shows up. Because these bodies, which were originally made and created for living life forever, after the transgression, now break down and deteriorate. All right? And so David says, there's no soundness in my flesh. He kind of chalks it up to in part. He said, because of God's anger, which is literally translated can be because of his punishment on sin, the consequences of sin. Because sin entered the picture, of course, in Genesis 3, right? 
Adam and Eve were told what uh, to do and what not to do. And whenever they partook of the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there were curses that were handed out to mankind. The serpent was cursed. The woman was cursed. The man was cursed. And as you read in Genesis 3, some of the things that come about with those curses is sorrow, pain, difficulty, struggle. Ultimately, he told, he told Adam, from dust you came, from dust you're going to return. Death was a part of all of that now and ushered in with it. And so death and sickness and some of these things of sorrow and pain, all these are in many ways the result of a fallen and a corrupt world that happened all the way back in the beginning. Because, I don't know, I dare to say, most people die because of something. I mean, most of the time, it's something. Hypertension, lung disease, diabetes, COVID. They, you know, they die because of something. Well, those some things enter into us because since sin, our bodies deteriorate. They break down. They're not meant to last forever. All right. There's no wholeness in our bones. <laughs> There's no soundness in our flesh as time goes on. And so Lazarus died because of sickness. Yes. But indirectly, sickness ultimately finds its foothold from the original sin of the garden. All right. Maybe Lazarus didn't do anything himself, but there's this whole broad brush that sin entered the world. And so it changed then the whole dynamics of the, 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 the life of mankind and his longevity was affected by the sin that took place in the garden. So Lazarus, yes, is dying because of sickness, but this isn't too far removed then from then Jesus dying because of our sin. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 3, and I hope you all know, I might go a little long tonight because we've had this little interaction, okay? Just disclaimer for me, you know. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 3, for I delivered unto you first, the apostle Paul says, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So Jesus, we understand, we know this, I know this is elementary, right? But Jesus didn't die for himself. He didn't die for his sin because he had no sin. He died for our sins. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, the Bible says who, the who is Christ. If you read the other portion of verses above it, Christ who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, right? Talking about Calvary, that we being dead to sin should live into righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, we agree, we know that Calvary brought physical healing, yes, but it didn't just bring physical healing alone, right? But even alluded to here that Calvary also brought a healing of the soul. It's interesting here because when you look at verse number 24, he's talking about our sins, how he bore our sins on his own body, dead to sins, all this stuff, by whose stripes we are healed. He's not just in the moment jumping to a physical, but he's alluding to the spiritual aspect of man. All right, let's just go a little further because we see this connectivity between sin and sickness in the book of James. James chapter number five and verse number 15. These are verses that some know. And the prayer... 
the wording is very important. And the prayer of faith shall, everybody say, save. Save the sick. And the Lord shall, this is in, raise him up. I like the terminology. And if he had committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Verse 16, confess your faults. We could run synonyms for faults. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth not much. Now, James, James is a very practical book, very practical book. The book of James is dealing with some issues in his book. He's dealing with issues about people that are double-minded. Uh, James is dealing with those that are drifting spiritually, that are drifting spiritually. However, in this chapter, chapter number five, he identifies sickness alongside with sin and healing alongside with repentance. Now, here's what I want you to look at. He tells us in verse 15 that prayer will save the sick and that confess faults with prayer will bring healing. Right? He's going to save the sick and he's going to heal those that confess their faults. It almost, the wording almost seems a little backwards. It's like I think the, the sick would be healed and those that confess their faults would be saved. But he's purposefully interlacing these two and making a connection between sin and sickness. All right? James is linking for us this connection. Amen. A connection that seems to stem all the way back again to Genesis, at least indirectly. That because of sin, it caused this grand shadow, if you will, of deterioration and breakdown upon humanity. Amen. Amen. In their bodies, so on and so forth. And so sickness took Lazarus to the grave, as we read in John 11. But humanity's sins also necessitated the death of the Lord Jesus. Now look at this, Galatians 1 and verse 4. Amen. And just let anybody know if you're waiting for the next question. I think I got through them. I was just trying to get you, you know, just a little worked up, loosened up there. Amen. Don't want to overdo it. Don't want to tax you too much, but you all did great. Galatians 1 and verse 4. Who, the who is Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Now, they laid Lazarus, they laid Lazarus in a tomb with a stone that was rowed over its opening. Jesus shows up on the fourth day to call Lazarus from the tomb. Jesus raises Lazarus up from the dead on the fourth day. Now, listen, Jesus hasn't died. He hasn't been buried. He hasn't resurrected yet. But I'm convinced that if Jesus can raise somebody up on the fourth day of being dead, that he can probably take care of himself on the third day. Remember, back in John 2, he had told them, you destroy this temple. John kind of clues us in. He's speaking about the temple of his body. You destroy this temple, and in three days, I'm going to raise it up. He told them. You read all throughout the counts of the different gospel stories. You hear him all the time conveying to his disciples, anybody that will give him the time of the day, I'm going to suffer persecution. I'm going to be handed over to the scribes and the Pharisees. This is going to happen. They're going to put me, amen, in a tomb, but the third day I'm getting up. The third day is going to rise. You just look up those two phrases, the third day. Google it, third day in the Bible, and you're going to see all these times that Jesus said, third day, third day, third day. I'm getting up. This is going to happen, all right? Now, Jewish sources convey the belief that they thought that death was irrevocable 
three days after a person had died. I like it. They believed that death was irrevocable three days after a person had died. Some writings even declare and believe that a person's spirit hovered over the body of the deceased for about three days. And after decomposition began to sit in that the spirit would depart from hovering over the shell of the body that it once knew. If this was the belief in Jesus's day, if this was the belief in Jesus's day, then Jesus for Lazarus even came a day later. Whenever the mindset of the people was third days, this is irrevocable. In other words, it can't be reversed. Jesus shows up even a day later. On day number four, someone say amen. And he reverses death to life. No wonder for that matter. No wonder Jesus even chose the third day. In his own life. To say on the third day. When everybody believes it can't be done. It's past an option. It can't happen. On the third day. Whenever you believe all hope is lost. When all possibilities are bleak. According to human standards. I'm going to get up. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get up. And if you'll recall. This is just how much ingrained. Into the, the minds of the people. If you'll recall. Those two boys that were walking to Emmaus. You remember. After all the events that had taken place, those two boys that are walking to Emmaus and Jesus comes in his resurrected form, amen, to come down and speak with them. Remember, they're kind of ignorant. They really don't recognize who he is. He's talking to them, amen, but he does, they don't recognize who he is. And, and Jesus kind of asked them, what y'all talking about? And they're like, they're, do you not even know what's taken place in the past few days? Do you not even understand how they put him on a tree and they hung him wide and they crucified him and they laid him in the tomb in the grave? Do you not even know all these things that are going on? And he's just listening to the reason. And this is what the Bible records in Luke 24 and verse 21 concerning these two boys of Emmaus. And this is their words. They're speaking to Jesus, although they didn't recognize him as Jesus. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. They're talking about Jesus. Not the Jesus that's right in front of them because they can't grapple that that's him. But they're talking about this guy that they laid in the tomb. We, we trusted that he would be the one that redeemed Israel. And besides all this, listen to him. I love it. And besides all this, today is the third day. Since these things were done, what are they saying? It's irreversible. It's irrevocable. It hasn't happened to our estimation. So it's not going to happen. Do you know what they're saying? They're saying it's not likely. Amen. They're saying he's not going to rise. It's the third day. <laughs> and yet the one who was speaking to them in that moment was he who got up on the third. On the third day. Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus. I feel good about this. And he cried with a loud voice. What did he say? We sing songs about around here. What did he say? Anybody? Lazarus, with a loud voice, the Bible even particularly says, Lazarus, come forth. I know you've all heard this. We've said it, and I think it's good to think about, you know, that had Jesus not said Lazarus, 
Hmm. We might have had a whole lot of people in grave clothes. Coming forth from their tombs. But Jesus spoke his name. Let's do just a real quick little connection back to John 10 and 3 that says, He calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them. And leadeth them out. Now this is interesting. And I can't I can't really honestly tell you. I really knew this prior to this week. If I did, I forgot it, which that wouldn't surprise me either. Lazarus's name means God. These are the, the variations of the meaning. God helps. God has helped. God is my help. God will help. So when Jesus is standing there and he says, Lazarus, all of the meanings come to bear on this moment. No, 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 no. You don't get it yet. Let me translate. It would be like this. God help. God is my help. God will help. (laughs) Hallelujah. And I think the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Amen. Lazarus came forth. Now listen. I don't, I'm going to do, I'm getting in this 40. God has just been with us. This has been the eighth miracle of the book of John. <laughs> Modern day. It's this very miracle of new life. Life restored back to Lazarus then. That causes now the people to consider Jesus' death in a very literal sense. Just stay here. My lesson tonight is uh, for his glory. But figuratively, I'm not talking about literal death now, figuratively, every person's death, burial, and resurrection today draws attention toward Jesus' death burial and resurrection in other words every modern day Lazarus story has a glorified Christ bound up in it now for Lazarus they've seen his sickness and the death and all that and that made him think let, let, let's Jesus die it was foreshadowing really what was to happen in Jesus's own life but now we're past that ours is a testimony about what happened Lazarus foreshadowed what was going to take place. But our lives testify to what did take place concerning Jesus. Bound up in us is the glory of God. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. The New Testament Lazarus, again, he's foreshadowing. But now, you all modern-day Lazaruses. Amen. You all modern-day Lazaruses, whenever you have died and been buried in resurrection, whenever you went, let me say it like this, through your repentance and water baptism and the filling of the Holy Ghost, all of that bound up in that is the glory of God. Bound up in that is the glorification of the Son of God because it gives testament to the work of Calvary. It gives testament to the work of the cross. Stand with me. Oh. Amen. For his, for his glory. For his glory. 
I mean, there were so many things that they tried to apprehend him before. It didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. But this, this moment, was the, this was the tipping point. This was this the circumstance and the occasion that totally shifted the direction. Because as we start to read then, and we get into John chapter number 12, and we go forward from about here onward, you know what we're talking about and what we're looking toward? We're looking toward Jesus' Passion Week, toward his death, burial, and resurrection. The rest of John, for the most part, is totally consumed then with this whole playing out of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the rest of the story of the gospel of John. So this was a real pivotal point, amen, that happened in Lazarus that turned attentions there. My God, I hope that whenever someone views my life, it makes them think of his glory. That when they look at me, they consider Calvary. When they look what's happened here, they think about what happened back there. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you tonight. Thank you for particip- Thank you for helping me teach. That's what you did. I learned from you. You learned from me even before we even got you helped us teach. You just made some observations of scripture and did so. And I appreciate that wholeheartedly. Amen. We'll come back next Wednesday and we'll look some more at John chapter number 11. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.